standard issue for all women. Hey Ace Faces, welcome to episode 22 of the Standard Issue Podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan and I actually like the taste of turkey. I'm Ooh. joined by... I'm Hannah Dunleavy and I was once forced against my will to be Mary in a nativity play. Unconsensual acting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm Jen Offord and I once fed baby Jesus frankincense. It's not one of the food groups, Jen. I was a shepherd and I just bowled up to the front, just picked <laughs> him up and started feeding him. Well, it. presumably you'd actually nicked it off the king at that point I just, as well. Apparently I just walked up. I don't remember this. My mum told me she was quite embarrassed about it, apparently. Just walked up, picked up baby Jesus, picked up the frankincense, started feeding it. Was it a posh school you were using actual frankincense? <laughs> yeah, it was real. It was, you know, it didn't end well for baby Jesus, but, you know. Well, I, know. I mean, it didn't, well, it didn't end well for didn't baby Jesus. <laughs> Later on, Liz Buckley gives us a pick of 2017's best albums and our Sarah goes all Dr. Doolittle. We have a conversation with the Joe Cox Commission on Loneliness. Sarah Morgan shares her tips on how a pass-out Christmas is excellent for all sorts of charities. And I do Disney's The Jungle Book. But first, Bitcoins, Big Brother and Brexit. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Q Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we squint, bemused at unfolding events like we're leave voting Northern Ireland, who just found out they get to remain, or remain voting Scotland, who keeps getting told they have to leave. Nobody knows. Thankfully, the Brexit shitstorm, or you know, the Brexit storm, because who doesn't love a portmanteau, is all sorted now. Phase one of the divorce has been brokered for a mere 35 to £39 billion and Theresa May is claiming, quote, a new sense of optimism for the next round of talks. Oh, good. Everything's all right then. Phew. Because why wouldn't we trust a leader who's committed so many blunders she makes Mr Bean look like a smooth operator? David Davis has lied through his teeth while not even bothering to do impact assessments. Our foreign secretary's a dangerous joke and the Chancellor of the Exchequer has full-on admitted he hasn't a scooby how Brexit will pan out. But as long as Teabag gets to send her Christmas cards from number 10, who cares if the country's fucked, right? I found better put-together cabinets in a skip. What a shower. Anybody wondering if the promises of this Conservative government about how a post-Brexit Britain will look are true might want to consider the news that Thatcher's promises about a nation of homeowners haven't quite panned out like that. No shit, Sherlock. Or should that be Shylock? Mm. A Freedom of Information request by the magazine Inside Housing revealed just over 40% of housing sold by councils is now in the hands of private landlords. And in Milton Keynes, a place where I know several families living on minimum wage who've been told they can't even get on a waiting list for social housing, that figure is 70%. I've not got a joke here other than the entire situation itself. It's fairly ridiculous, isn't it? It's not ideal. It's difficult because my parents don't live in Milton Keynes. They live in Newport Pagnell, but that does fall within the Milton Keynes Council. My parents bought their house in the Right to Buy scheme. So in many ways, you could argue that they were part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Two of their three children cannot afford to buy a house. So in one generation, our family's entire financial investment has become in that one house yeah and my mum is still living in it so were it still a council house she would still be living in it so it wouldn't have solved that problem so I am kind of torn but on the other hand it feels a little bit like the enclosures act you know about the enclosures act that happened in the 
sort of the eight, feudal system in the 19th century where basically people were allocated a piece of land oh yeah. yes and no, then it I had do, to be yeah. split up yeah. between mm. their children mm. and eventually everybody got a smaller and smaller parcel of land mm. and that's what feels like is going to happen in certain families certainly working class families that that house will end up going three ways and that three ways will not be enough to have a house yeah it's bonkers, isn't it? I see what you mean, like because you kind of think, like, well, look, why shouldn't you have? Why shouldn't you be able to buy your own house? Like, you, you kind of feel like, you know, the principle of it. Yeah, fair enough. But then, what you need to be doing is building more social houses. Well, exactly isn't it? that. Isn't it? Yeah, that money didn't. Just that money went straight into yeah. the council, and nobody's built any yeah. more houses since. Yeah. If you look at London and you look at like shared ownership, for example, a lovely path I'm hoping to uh, proceed on shortly. But it's like you have to have a minimum income of it's pretty high minimum income to even be able to do it. Like the people they're helping. Sure, those people need help as well. But what the fuck is being done for the people who earn less than that? I don't know. It's, it's, It's sort of looking into it now as I am. It's really quite disconcerting. Well, all you need to do is look at Grenfell Tower and the fact that they were trying to rehouse them hundreds of miles away because there's no social housing in London. Yeah. Meanwhile, millions of empty flats owned by Qatari businessmen pushing up the uh, squatters' rights for everyone. Let's talk about squatters' rights. Mm, sorry. Instead, let's talk about another housing crisis that's really unfucking funny. 39% of women's refuges in the UK may have to close thanks to the government's proposal to remove refuges and other temporary supported housing from the welfare system. Plainly put, this means that women won't be able to use housing benefit to pay for a safe space in a women's shelter. Put even more plainly, this means more women will die. This week, the annual femicide census from Women's Aid revealed that 113 women were killed by men in England, Wales and Northern Ireland in 2016. Of those 113, 78 were killed by a current or former partner. The formidable Jess Phillips sponsored a Commons debate on the issue which took place yesterday. Whether the government has listened and will change its mind... Well, let's just say that Theresa May pledged to make it a key personal priority to transform the way the UK tackles domestic violence. And it seems it wasn't in favour of the women whose lives are at dire risk. So if you can, dig deep and chuck some cash at a local shelter or check out Refuge's Christmas gift list appeal at refuge.org.uk. Meanwhile, Jeremy Corbyn proved that he really is the people's princess this week after he was endorsed by close competitor for the title, Ed Sheeran. I've got thoughts about Ed Sheeran. What's your favourite Ed Sheeran song, Hannah? Uh, it's the one that goes, um, middle class people don't get any more opportunities in life than working class people do. I don't <laughs> think those are the bona fide lyrics. Though. No, they were well, lyrics. You had his to, harmonies spung on. There were lyrics to an interview he gave to The Independent this week. Anyway, it would no doubt have been a welcome boost for the Labour leader after a momentum activist was suspended for posting an anti-Semitic video on Twitter, which the activist described as a bit of fun. It was announced last week that the pro-Corbyn activist group was under investigation by the Electoral Commission over whether or not it broke finance rules in this year's general election. And momentum activists were also compared by journalist and ruiner of schools Toby Young to Britain first. More appreciative of Corbyn's lefty vibe, Sheeran told told a newspaper, I love Corbyn, I love everything Corbyn is about. Keen to clear up any misunderstandings, the singer added, I feel people thought that because I didn't put myself behind him, I wasn't a Corbyn supporter. He cares about other people. He cares about all races and generations, and that's how I was brought up. We need more people that care about everyone. 
And that ringing endorsement puts Corbyn just one handshake from Beyonce Knowles. You're on borrowed time, teabag. So, can anyone lend me a Bitcoin, please? Uh, I'm going to change, mate. No, mate. How much is that anyway? Um, well, the answer is anywhere between about 23p and a million quid, depending on how long it takes you to log on to your account. The cryptocurrency had a crazy week last week as frenzied investor interest saw its value drop 20% in a single morning and then recover to $15,000 a pop by the afternoon, <laughs> meaning its overall value went up 40% in a week. Now, some banks, including JP Morgan, remain sceptical, not just of the not-backed virtual currency, but also of the trading brouhaha around it. And Sir Howard Davis, who's chairman of the Royal Bank of Scotland, went further, saying, and I quote, put up a sign from Dante's Inferno, abandon hope all ye who enter here. <laughs> Which is funny, because that's also the sign that should hang on the entrance of the dark web, the place where Bitcoin first gained popular use for buying and selling some pretty nefarious shit. I always forget that it's called the dark web and tend to refer to it as the big black web. Yeah. The dark web sounds like something out of a uh, Philip Pullman book. It does it? a bit. Yeah. It's interesting because I live in Cambridge, which is pretty high tech. It's where Silicon Fen is, which is the British version of Silicon Valley. Mm. Oh, I love that it's called Silicon Fen. <laughs> Silicon Fen. A couple of people I know, I'd say in the last five years, have advised me to buy Bitcoin because this was going to happen. But there's a couple but, of reasons. But what is this that has just exactly. happened? There's a couple of reasons I didn't, partly because I can't say the sense in investing in a currency that's not backed. And although I'm sure there is some technological safeguards behind it, you can't help but think, how does someone not empty my account? How I know that can happen with your real bank account, but that money is backed and you have recourse if your bank account is emptied and it's hacked. But also because it came to, first came to prominence, I mean, the first time that it was really majorly used was on the website Silk Road, an illegal website mm. for which you could just buy drugs and order them to your house. And also it has been associated with the buying of guns and indeed illegal organs on the internet and I couldn't I could anyone got four kidneys so the idea the idea that it's going to come into the mainstream I find a little disturbing it is on its way into the mainstream though and I agree with you that it's disturbing but Björk her latest album Utopia she made available to purchase by Bitcoin I went on a date with someone who works in the uh, Bitcoin industry not that long ago he was mental. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think you have to be to get your head around <laughs> how the fuck the economics crackers. work. I'm not very good at maths. I think I should avoid Bitcoin. What if you just, could you just buy one? Is it like a pound? Like one Bitcoin is a pound? Well, no. That, no. Oh, yeah, is that the whole point? Shares? shares have gone up and down. So well, it's not they? shares. You buy Bitcoin. Oh. And oh. which apparently is singular. It's not Bitcoin's. You buy Bitcoin. Oh, that's... And you should have told me that before the intro, mate. No, they are currently incredibly expensive. As in a, a something that you buy that you can turn over a massive profit tomorrow on, they are uh, um, what's really? being sold as a sound investment. But but they are literally, they are not backed. That currency is not backed oh. by... Pretty sure that Bitcoin is the sort of thing that someone will send. I'm at that Dunleavy, by, by the way, a thing to tell me what a fucking idiot I am and how wrong I am on this. So I'm happy to listen to discussion. Do you on think it, they'll but... bring out? Do you remember those cards you used to get at Christmas that had holes for pound coins? <laughs> but your grandma yeah. had put like two quid in. Oh, well, they were like, lovely Bitcoin ones. But that's it. That's the whole thing. You can't. You can't if hold you it in your hand. It's not a. If you were the government, wouldn't you go like you know when they hit a bit of a low, 
buy a load up and then go, hey, Bank of England, we want you to bag this now, and then just sell them all the next day and make loads of money. Would that be illegal? Probably I be illegal, I, I, I it? genuinely don't know how it works, except that it has all of the frenzy, <laughs> the frenzy. around frenzy, it frenzy. that looks like what happened before the Wall Street crash and before almost every major I'm just going to say, Teabag, if you're listening, it's an idea for you because you need some. So I think do hope she it. does listen. I'm sure she is. I'm sure, I'm sure she is. She gets a lot of mention. She loves it, yeah. One giant leap forward for womankind this week who will now be given equal, if not more, opportunity to make twats out of themselves on live TV as men. Wow. In honour of the centenary celebrations of women in the UK being given the vote, Celebrity Big Brother due to return to our screens in the new year, announced it would begin festivities with an all-female lineup before gradually introducing men, then promptly revealed who the first male housemate would be. According to The Mirror, it's hoped that Love Island star Johnny Mitchell, no, I don't know either, uh-uh. uh, would behave in a typically flirtatious manner, and yes, I will take their word for that too, what and create... <laughs> Apparently he's typically flirtatious, that's his thing. Oh, okay. That's what he likes okay. to do. Wow. Anyway, they hope that he'll create sexual tension in the house, which I think roughly translates as make women compete for his attention. Either that or just like always be in the bathroom wanking himself daft. Oh, that's sexual tension. It's not It's not nice no. sexual tension. Either way, tense. either way, whatever it is he does, be it, you know, rub himself raw or, or, or you know... Make women compete for them. I think we'll suffocate uh... under the weight of competing breasts. <laughs> Either way, I think that's it, guys. We can all go home because uh, sexism has been solved, hasn't Yay. it? Yay! That's completely horrifying. What is that? That idea of hey, let's make women fight over a man on television. That isn't that like the standard? That's just the format. Isn't it? Did you ever? This is incredible. Right, I mustn't go on about this for ages, but. I once saw an advert for a programme called Flavour of Love. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Oh, actually, I once got snowed in to the town of Deadwood and um, I spent a lot of time in a bar because it was the only place in the whole town that had electricity. No, genuinely. And it was it. it's hosted by someone called Tia something. Tia, I think that's a different one. I think tequila, that's something. Tequila, tequila that's or something it. like that. And that was, that was what the barman wanted to watch on the telly. And therefore that's what we watched the whole time we were in the pub. It was appalling. That isn't the same one because this one was actually, if you can imagine, it was basically like a Big Brother house. I don't know if you've ever watched The Bachelor or anything like that where they like literally make women compete to go out with Nick Philippoussos or something weird right he used to play tennis didn't he anyway this is actually where in a sort of celebrity not a celebrity in a in a house a bunch of women mark philippousis mark philippousis sorry they get a bunch of women in a house i was thinking of the character from heartbreak high i I outsports jen do you know what you're weird on like old tennis players i know i i just literally what i've done there is confused him with a character from heartbreak high nick polos (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is what I've just done. Anyway, sorry. The a bunch of women in the house competing for the affections of, would you believe, Flavor Flav, who still wears an alarm clock around <laughs> his neck. And like in the in the trailer for it that I saw, they were like literally throwing fucking plates at each other. Like it was really like Larry shit. Incredible. So these things do exist, yeah. It's wow. It's pretty standard format. Wow. Would you compete for the affections of Flavor Flav, Mick? Maybe for his alarm clock. Do you get to? I don't know if you get to do that. You get to like have baths with him and stuff, according to the trailer. But I'm really up for that. Fine, fine, it's all right. 
In actual good news for women, veteran rocker Steve Tyler, he of Aerosmith, flamboyant scarf-wearing and dad of live fame, has opened a women's shelter just outside of Atlanta. Janie's House, a nod to Aerosmith's excellent 1989 song Janie's Got a Gun, which is about child abuse and incest, yet still somehow manages to be a banging rock tune, will provide refuge for abused girls. Tyler opened the shelter with a scarf cutting, because of course he did. More news as it happens. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where we rifle through the misogynist hit parade and sing out about sexism. Not at Middlesbrough boozer Dr Brown's mind. The pub has banned female-fronted bands, claiming its customers don't believe women can sing rock songs, therefore birds leading bands is bad for business. The pub, which can presumably be reached by finding a rip in time and going back to 1957, actually cancelled the band Revenant's booking once it discovered the frontman was in fact a front woman. Manager Paula Rees has defended the decision, saying, We had female singers on in the past and customers just didn't like it. We're a rock bar and they don't think that women should sing male rock songs. It's nothing to do with me. It's the pub's regulars who come in every week. They won't come in if there's a female singer. Fuck's sake, Paula! Yeah, Paula, your hands are tied, aren't they? Fucking hell. This is twice in a week that sexism of the... Twice in a row that sexism of the week has actually been a woman saying something incredibly sexist. Yeah. Um, equality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that the band's called Revenant, which means, like, thing that has returned from the past. <laughs> Hi, we're here in the studio with Danny Grufferty, who is a coordinator at the Joe Cox Commission for Loneliness. Hello. Hello. You've got some big news coming this week, haven't you? We do. We've got a report coming out on Friday. This has been a year-long piece of work. Joe set up the commission before she was killed cross-party commission looking into loneliness and on Friday we launch a report which is basically calling on the government to do more but also on each and every one of us to do something to reconnect as a society. And you had a big speech today? Yes, our co-chair Rachel Reeves who's the Labour MP for Leeds West gave a speech at Policy Exchange which was trying to unite the left and the right of every political party because it's a cross-party commission. Loneliness also doesn't really seem to us to be a party political issue necessarily. So she gave a speech at Policy Exchange. Neil O'Brien, who's a Conservative MP, gave the response and she set out the commission's broader idea that would Beveridge, if he was alive today, see loneliness as the sixth social evil? Whilst all these needs are important, the want of human connection is also really important and we don't always talk about that enough and we don't talk about relationships and connecting with people enough I think politicians are often scared to talk about those things I think that also shows how Joe was so great someone said today that she came into parliament to do wanting to do something about loneliness and she took up the cause of the Eleanor Rigby's of this world those who are at home feeling lonely aren't shouting about it on social media but just going through life feeling isolated and Joe always cared about the, those causes of like the small person and they might not be always the trendiest causes I guess but um, they're important too it is a growing issue isn't it mm. there's more of us working from home and yeah. more people living on their own as well I suppose of... people live longer as well don't they mm, so yeah. it's sort of if one spouse is outliving another spouse by a considerable period of time because I think it's a really big problem amongst elderly people. Yeah. yeah. And I think we wrongly feel more social because of our smartphones, because mm. it feels like there's those connections, but they're not real connections, which isn't to diminish the power of like being able to text someone. If you don't have anyone to text, that's even worse. But that it's not the same as like hanging out with someone. We talked a bit today about the instant gratification of 
you posting something so it's you wanting to look good about how the world sees you and then you, you agonise over the likes. Uh, Rachel mentioned it's almost like an addiction for people to get those likes. Also the way social media using those algorithms like also filters out people with differing, differing views to yourself as well. So people are in this kind of echo chamber that, you know, a lot of people are talking about how social media encourages that. But I guess for us as a commission, it's difficult for us to say either that social media is bad or good, but that there are great elements to it, but maybe it can be utilised in a more positive way. Tech companies are now like institutions in our society and there is a role for them to make social media a space where it's used to help connect people, older people too, who might not be tech savvy. But also there is long term implications that we don't know yet of social media and the impact on mental health, but also on people feeling isolated. That whilst you might be on your phone all the time and chatting to people, like actually it might just reinforce feelings that you know you feel alone. Well, we um, have an example in, in that our founder, Sarah Millican, uses yeah. social media for, for the power of good uh, over Christmas with her join in campaign. Hashtag join in, yeah. I mean, Christmas is a tough time for people in particular. Yeah. The Joe Cox Foundation are revamping the great, great get-together. So it's like a Christmas get-together. So I know Christmas was a time that was really important to Joe in terms of reaching out to the community. Um, so we're doing hashtag mince pie moments. It's encouraging people to share a mince pie with someone that might be feeling isolated, but also use it as a opportunity to just invite neighbours around and reconnect with, with people. But yeah, Age UK published research the other week and it was, you know, one million people will spend Christmas alone. Um, I think because it's all over, if you're watching TV or anything, it's all the family and there's there's more emphasis on, on being with people you mm. care about. So if they're not in your life or if there's mm. no one you can reach out to, it feels even more isolating. Mm. It's a lot of pressure as well, isn't it? Be- because it is sold as like family I'd say that like in EastEnders, yeah, because that's what I'll be doing on Christmas Day, guys. Sorry, Mum. Uh, be in EastEnders? No, I'll be watching oh, it. Okay. She'll be there as well, so, you know, that's good yeah. for both of us. <laughs> There's such an emphasis on family and things like that, and a lot of people don't necessarily get on with their families, or yeah. there's a lot of pressure for people to have this perfect day or whatever and and, and that's not the reality for a lot of people. I think as well with my family I mean it's massive and there was a period in time when my grandparents because they bought their houses in the 1940s or whenever they bought them they had quite big houses Mm. so there was a place for people to get together. Now everybody's in tiny two three bed new builds nobody has the facility to have a massive family Mm. christmas anymore i do i do think that's really important point about the needs to have spaces where communities can come together and i know like built design we've we've looked into this a bit over the last year with the work of the commission there's now a more more of a debate about you know we look at like health and safety and, and other kind of legislation when we're building new designs but why don't we look at things like how we can connect communities the way they've built certain you know council estates in the 80s or whatever they didn't build a park with it that people could access and now you know with with community centres sometimes struggling um, under austerity, there aren't actually these spaces for people to come to. Well, lots of villages don't even have a pub anymore. I was going to say, so the council estates that I grew up around um, and grew up on, they always had, like you just said, a park and a pub and a community centre. And I feel like with with various cuts, they were the first few things to go. And they're so important on, on everyone looking out for each other and building those foundations. And you're right, the pub is an obvious thing. Well, if you live in a village and you're by yourself 
mm. and you had a pub, you could at least go there on Christmas Day mm. in, the, in the bit of the period they were open and have a pint and have a conversation with the landlord and be with someone at Christmas. And so many villages where I am have no pub anymore, which is... Yeah, quite, so there's quite upsetting, really. Yeah, we've we found the the pub thing is real because it is the centre of many people's community lives, particularly rural. There's a group called Pub is the Hub, and they're basically national, and they're supported by a big brewery, and they renovate dilapidated pubs that have closed down. Members of the community use them as child's play centres, cafes, and then also pubs. And we've been working to shine a spotlight on the work they're doing in particularly with like rural isolation. But a lot of people who have access to these places have said it's been transformative. Also, loneliness for young mums has been a real thing that has well, come well, out. you don't actually have don't... to be on your own to be lonely, exactly, which yeah. is a strange concept, yeah. I know, for some people to grasp. It's a different sort of loneliness, yeah. but it is still loneliness. Mm. And also men, because the stigma of saying, I'm lonely. Again, that's why Jo was so great, because one of the things she said when she was elected was I was lonely at university people didn't see her as the type of person that would get lonely but she did and the stigma is really a big thing obviously and there's groups like men in sheds all over the country and they basically bring men together to share craft and companionship and a lot of the men we've met them they'll be like well I wouldn't say I'm a lonely person but yeah like basically I wanted somewhere to come and meet other men which wasn't the pub and actually it is a place for just men to come together and share in like interests really which is really important have you heard of andy's man club no oh, what's <laughs> his great. name he's called andy something or other and he's a rugby player and he lost his brother-in-law to suicide so he started a campaign and gets all these guys together and i guess because he's a rugby player as well so it's sort of tapping into a different audience too i guess a more kind of like macho vibe they have these little clubs in halifax i think they maybe have one really load in because he's from somewhere in yorkshire and they have a bunch Andy of these. someone from somewhere I know, I'm here. rubbish, aren't I? He's, a, he's amazing. I can't even go. I'll I'm Google like, him. No, can't go. But yeah, Andy's Man Club. So, Danny, what are the goals of the commission? So one of the big ones is, and I've got a badge with me today, actually, uh, the happy to chat thing. So we often talk about how people need permission, particularly like maybe in British culture, where we're kind of scared to say hello to to people you might you might say like it might be a quintessentially british thing to be a bit reserved the badge has served to break down the, this permission this perceived permission of being able to say hello to strangers and rachel also talked today about the permission of snow today people will be like or terrible weather to a stranger yeah. say it to the bus driver they'll knock on the neighbor's door and be like are you all right it's snowing and actually why do we need like a meteorological event to be like are you okay and say hello to people and comment on stuff same thing like i've got a dog and like i have permission to talk to other dog owners I'm not sure i have that permission to, if i'm on my own walking and be like hello <laughs> you know how are you i think they would think it was weird well, and i, I think that's a shame dogs, I absolutely talk to yeah. the dogs, even though I don't have one. You do know they what talk else back? gives you permission? And I'm not encouraging anyone to do this at all, but smoking. It seems to me that if you were standing outside a pub mm. and you are having a cigarette, you can just talk to anybody else that's outside smoking. I mean, absolutely not endorsing the um, anyone take up smoking. <laughs> hey, guys, for, feeling lonely? Take up smoking. For, <laughs> for this. <laughs> but, yeah, it does seem that there, you are right, that there are certain odd mm. social quirks but if you sit next to someone on a tube, never speak to them. Never. I guess it's that common trait that you don't, if it's a stranger, you have no idea what, what the political persuasion is or what they're into, what they're not into, what's going to 
potentially upset them that would make someone else that you know laugh or whatever but and they've got a dog you've got that bit of shared life together in a way and you know it's going to be quite short you know it's going to be as long <laughs> that conversation is going to go on as long as that cigarette and then you've got a reason to go back mm. in because I think sometimes people fear the idea exactly. you're going to get hauled into a massive conversation with someone and then we married it's <laughs> <laughs> funny though isn't it because I go to my local gym pretty regularly and there are people in the classes that I go to, who I have seen week in, week out for three years, and I never talk to any of them. We never, like, chat, ever. They're totally familiar faces to me. It's so weird, isn't it? Running is slightly different, because runners say hi to each other. Obviously, you yes, maybe there's some like sort of speed, uh, but you do sort of say hello. And there's a lot of runners' clubs, and the idea is then, when I was in a run club... There was there was loads of chatting. I was like, sure, it'd be slowing me down. But mm. there is that. I joined it because I don't People really can know. People run and talk at the same time. Not me. Not very Not fast. Me. I joined it because I'm quite isolated, actually. My closest mate is a 15-minute drive. I don't really know my neighbours. Well, I do, but one of them's batshit. Um, so I try to just <laughs> keep myself to myself. But I needed permission. Mm. I needed that little thing that made mm. me go, oh, well, I do this, they do this. So mm. we've got that commonality. Is that a word? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. I think I think it's interesting, Nikki, that you said I'm isolated. So you didn't say I'm lonely because they're not the same thing. No, mm. yeah. I get lonely, but it's yeah. not a constant. No, and I'm lucky enough that if it gets too much, there are people that I can go to. Yeah, and I sort of know how to do that. I had for a long time, for 15 years, I had two cats, and sadly Ross died in February and Mark died a couple of weeks ago, and I'm bereft and I feel very lonely mm, now because yeah. there were bodies in the house and now it's just me on my own. And while I'm quite content living on my own without another human, I've, I really miss their presence. So it has felt quite lonely in that way. Yeah, there's a lot of groups who are working on trying to pair up lonely people with dogs and other pets that are left on their own. There are sceptics who are like, but it's an animal, it's not, but oh, it's, no. that's rubbish. I think with with me, when I was son's cat and I lasted about, I realised how much I talked to myself. Yeah. And you're not talking to yourself when you're talking to a cat. They don't understand you. They don't. Sure, they do. When you go, oh man, you won't believe the, the queue at the one stop. <laughs> Probably because the man at the front was lonely and was dragging out the conversation with the woman yeah. behind the counter. I wasn't talking to the cat, I was talking to myself. But yet, weirdly, you give yourself permission to speak out loud when there's anything that's there to listen to you. Mm. Danny, why do you think there is this stigma around admitting when we are lonely? Oh, that's a big one. I think it was Aristotle said that we're social animals. I asked a big question. You've come in with a big question. That's a line stolen from our report. Like, I didn't write it, but I was reading it this morning. I think we we like to be thought of as, as popular and not in need of certain things. Like, maybe we're quite proud. And I think if you're saying you're lonely, you're basically saying you want the social relationships you're having are not fulfilling enough and you want more. I think people must almost feel naked saying something like that because it's, does it also reflect badly on you that, you know, people don't want to be friends with you? And yeah, I think we need to be more comfortable as a society to say it, but also that someone said recently, it's not the National Illness Service, it's the National Health Service. Like we need to be a bit more positive. So that's why we try to talk less about loneliness, although we do believe it's a social epidemic. We, we focused on that, but also we want to say at the same time it's about connecting and reconnecting as a society. More of us do live on our own, work at home. Do we need to reconnect as a society, which is quite a positive message. And also just in answer to the stuff about like what we're calling for, the permission to chat and the happy to chat stuff is all important, but 
obviously there are acutely isolated people there are people that spend weeks upon weeks on their own and there has to be a role for government to do more about that but also there's loads of great projects around the country like our partners you know from age uk to carers uk to refugee action action for children got 13 partners that joe invited to perform the commission you do loads of great work so i did want to plug them as well and what we don't know is what projects do work and we need some kind of research to find out what does work so we can pump more money into it and get more of these projects going. I think the thing with old people, part of the, the, the problem is that we don't, we don't value them no, enough in general. Mm. I mean, I freaking love old people because they remember stuff that happened before I was alive. Therefore, they've lived in history. You love history. And I love history. And I always had loads of fun hanging out with my nan's sisters, some of whom are still alive, and I continue to have fun with my nan's sisters because the conversation never gets tired because if it does, I just ask them about when they were evacuated or the Blitz or where they were when Manfest walked on the moon, what they thought of it, and it's really interesting. And I think if we encourage young people, say, for example, I can remember at school the idea was that we were studying the Second World War, so we had to go and find someone who'd been in the Second World War and ask them what they did. And there was quite a lot of about it. And I thought, oh, man, who am I going to talk to? Which which brilliant old man is going to tell me a story about El Alamein or whatever it was? I think if we encourage people to sort of respect the experiences and, and be interested in the experiences of old people, the time's going to fly by. There are some like quite interesting initiatives. I know someone who volunteers to go and hang out with an older woman. Befriending. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. she didn't know this woman. She just got sort of buddied up with her or whatever, and she goes and hangs out with her. And, and she always says exactly the same thing. We don't put any value on the experience of older people. We just kind of write them off as like, ah, they don't know what, you know, the world's... So they're all open racists. Exactly, yeah. but she always says she has the most interesting chats with her because she knows about completely different things mm. to the things that she knows about because they're from totally different... Yeah periods of time and they've lived through different experiences and she was she has a very nice time chatting to her my mum used to do that she used to take me uh, when i was little to a lady called mrs hodgkinson's house and we'd have tea and we'd help her do the gardening and stuff and she just really liked the company they met through church so my mum was but church it was a, a massive thing that has also mm. been removed i guess well, it's, it's definitely on the wane isn't it mm. it's definitely church attendance. On unless there's a gig in it that's when i go to church <laughs> what do you think that people can do on a personal level, if someone's listening to this now, what they can do to, to help somebody else who's, in, who's lonely. It sounds a bit cheesy, fluffy. I think we, we need to take more time and put more priority on just being nicer and having more time to chat to people. Someone tweeted us, they were wearing the badge, they got on the bus and an older man approached her and said, oh, hello, you're wearing that badge, can I say hello? And it transpired that he hadn't spoken to anyone for five days because he just lives on his own. I do think we need to reconnect somehow and I realise that's a big ask of people but I think it's, it's quite a nice thing for people to do and I think it's never as scary after you've done it as you think it's going to be like what's the worst that can happen where can people... people get a badge <laughs> sorry we both said it together there you go there was a unified front against loneliness <laughs> they can get a badge by contacting uh, the joe cox foundation is probably the best okay. um or me at the loneliness commission hello at joecoxcommission.org the commission winds down at the end of december so after that post-December contact the Joe Cox Foundation. It was really interesting yeah, was and so vital. Thank you so much for coming in, Danny. Pleasure.
Hello, I am joined by our resident music guru, Liz Buckley. Hello there. Liz has come in to share with us her top picks of albums for 2017. So when we were discussing this, Liz had said, is there any that you want to mention just so I, you know, can make sure I've listened to them and stuff? And I quite shamefacedly had to admit that I've only really listened to one new album this year and it is by Queens of the Stone Age. It's called Villains and I love it. And I went to see them live the other week and they were phenomenal and it pushed away the darkness for a couple of hours it's like that volume of music that means you can't really think about being sad that is until you read recent news about frontman josh homie who uh kicked female photographer chelsea lauren in the face cut himself on stage and referred to his crowd as retards yes he did do that and the fact that he looks a little bit like donald trump is like the least of his worries at the moment I <laughs> an think. axe yes and he told everyone to take their pants off and screamed fuck muse which is slightly more endearing actually but we mustn't let him get the, get the high literally ground, but... three weeks ago if he told me to take my pants off I'd have been delighted <laughs> and I'd, I'd, all I wanted him to do was bench press me because he does look like he could bench press a zoo animal or indeed a human woman but I have to let that one go now I imagine I now understand what Morrissey fans feel like oh, dear. <laughs> I don't think anyone can understand that there's another level <laughs> he's issued two apologies now since this morning this it was only last night that this all came to yeah we're recording uh, on Monday so this all happened yeah, at the concert so on who Sunday. Who knows where we'll be by Wednesday. But yeah, there has been two apologies so far. Possibly so, we'll all be pantless screaming fuck news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, the kick to the photographer's face, we should clarify, was totally deliberate. And twice. <laughs> he claims he kicked the camera and the camera hit her face. Oh, and he went back for a second go. Right. And she's got footage. So, um, you know. What a prick. <laughs> well, his second apology does contain the phrase, I am a complete dick, which I think most apologies should contain if you're going to... Uh... Louis C.K., if you're listening. <laughs> also but... the words, I'm sorry. So, yeah, we're at a place, aren't we, this year where all good things are tarnished. <laughs> I know, that we, there's no more heroes anymore. Well, you say that, but I've got a few that we can still look Thank towards. you, Liz, <laughs> thank you. You restore my faith in humanity just by seeing your lovely face. <laughs> Which the listeners will never see. I'm going to put loads of photos of you <laughs> So I'm, I'm very happy to say that Björk, who we talked about at some length in our last podcast, she, her album is good. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, relief. It's called Utopia, right? <laughs> it is called Utopia. And it's about hope and happiness and finding a place in the future where things could be good. Not many artists can say this. It's based almost entirely around the flute. <laughs> Once you're 10 albums in, uh, this is where you have to start looking for new territories. Or indeed, once you're Björk. Yeah, exactly. She has done everything else. So, I mean, flute was actually her second instrument when she was a child, because obviously she's a child protégé. So classical piano was her first instrument and flute was her second. I don't believe she was that keen on either, but that's how good she is. You can play your second favourite and still do a whole album of it um, that's where she credits her amazing lung power from actually playing the flute when she was a kid but uh, yeah there's a 12 piece Icelandic flute ensemble throughout this album it's her longest album 71 minutes I believe of bird song and nature and elegance it's airy it's happy it's rather wonderful if you feel this world is not heading the way you would want it to you have to be DIY and make a little fortress. That's how she described oh, her album. Oh, <laughs> We all need more Björk. I'm glad you picked her as well because I finally mastered pronunciation. 
<laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> Lots of people said, well, no, just saying it the way we all thought it was when she was in the sugar cubes. I think yeah. she's accepting of all all versions, as long as she's being talked about. Hey, no, I want to get it right. So, that that's our beginning point, where she's uh, she's rediscovering how to love the future. And it's fun. I mean, you know, there's fun lyrics on there. She talks about Googling what love is just to refind it. And this is her post-divorce album, of course. So when she's talking about the Icelandic landscape, it's not in a sort of pretentious blue planet kind of soundtracky way. She, she, her lyrics are things like this fucking mist and these cliffs are showing off. And <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's fun and it's happy. And I was very glad to have her back. You're quite cross with blue planet. <laughs> I see that in your tweet. Keeps dying in it. I, I'm I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> I know nature is harsh, but I thought there'd be a lot more swimming. <laughs> There's quite a lot of swimming. So thankfully, Björk is being a bit more realistic, and it's just incredibly uplifting. Mm. Sort of quite backgroundy, but I don't mean that as an insult. You could quite happily have it on on yeah. repeat. I think well, the flute is not an intrusive instrument. <laughs> well, it depends what you do with it, love. <laughs> Well, she is on the in the press photos with a flute and a dildo, so you're not far off, I think. Oh, She's maybe I love the... love. <laughs> wow. So, moving on. Moving swiftly on. LCD Sound System. Very happy to have them back. I believe you're a fan as well. We I do. We went to Ali Pally on we, different days, we did. didn't we, sadly? We did. And they were pretty phenomenal. Yes. Pretty phenomenal. I mean, for a... For a fat middle-aged geezer, you know, how to rock out. <laughs> Go, James. This is the rather enchanting thing about it. It's his modesty that I find enchanting. He knows he's not a pop star or a front man. He's, you know, he's a brilliant musician. He plays almost all the instruments on the record. Obviously, has a live touring band, but you know, he also knows that he's not stood there looking angular. And <laughs> so, you know, that's incorporated on the album. Like the silliest song, I would say, is "Emotional Haircut" about sort of middle age and trying to look like a rock star and change your mind very literally about changing your mind <laughs> and they had a goodbye gig at Madison Square Gardens which was only 2011 announcing to the world that you know this huge gig and send off and DVD that you know this was the end of the band and of course now they're back doing huge venues <laughs> and probably with the only amount of time in between albums that most bands would have anyway so yeah. change your mind is very bravely, him going through the comments section of his own announcement. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that they're coming back and uh, addressing some of the complaints that they're returning from their own fans. So it rather triumphantly does end with, you can change your mind. <laughs> I like that he's addressed it very directly. I mean, he actually has quotes from the criticisms. But some fans did see it as a betrayal. You know, they they uh, managed to leave it all behind and they didn't want them to come oh, for back. For fuck's sake. Get a grip. What's the album called, Liz? It's called American Dream. It's very much a Bowie album. So in many ways, it sort of feels like Bowie's comeback album. It's slightly ridiculous, the shadow that he casts over this album. There's a... Well, Change Your Mind does literally sound like a sort of cross between fame and scary monsters. It's so Bowie. It's it's absolute tribute rather than... I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't say it's anything other than a copy. And then there's a track called Tonight, which is as blatant as it gets. And then there's another song called Black Screen, which is very obviously about his inability to co-produce Black Star, which he was asked to do. Oh. And because Bowie was his hero, he didn't feel brave enough to do it. He's got a couple of credits on percussion, <laughs> bless him. Aww. But, you know, he was terrified, as we all would be, if Bowie said, hey, let's hang out. You're like, oh, I can't do that, no, and just Aww. walk backwards. He's and just a sweetheart. Yeah, he is. So, 
you know, Bowie looms large over this entire album. And, you know, it's nice to have them both back in many ways. It is. And the energy and the euphoria that's always been in LCD's music is absolutely still there. Yeah. I mean, even when there's slightly more negative sentiments on there, like there's a track called How Do You Sleep, which is a clear reference to the uh, John Lennon song attacking Paul McCartney after they'd fallen out, is about his DFA production partner who he's got quite a, a big feud with. And even when the lyrics for that are quite negative, like one step forward and six steps back is the constant res- refrain, it's still a, an amazing dance track. And, you know, you don't feel any sort of hatred from it. It's just a tune, <laughs> quite frankly. So he turns the bad into the good. You know, even though Death does actually loom quite large on this album, even though it's a comeback album, there's loads of references to sort of uh, his post-punk heroes. So you've got Bowie, but you've got Lou Reed, you've got Alan Vega from Suicide. He tried to get Leonard Cohen uh, to do a spoken word thing, and Leonard Cohen promptly died a couple of days afterwards. I mean, just a simple no, Leonard. <laughs> it is a strong no, it's isn't dramatic. it? dramatic. <laughs> so dram- who'd have thought that from Leonard Cohen? So too much drama. <laughs> Even though that's a theme of the album, you've obviously got Rebirth and everything, but you've got Death, uh, it still manages to be really upbeat and happy. So, I mean, you look at the lyrics and there's things like, you've got numbers on your phone you can't delete, and you have life-affirming moments that you can't repeat. And this is a comeback album. Wow. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing that if you go to you know a gig of theirs, you are just literally dancing around to the bangers. <laughs> and then you go home and you listen to it and you're like, hang on, yeah. why was I so happy about this? <laughs> but yeah, he walks the line brilliantly and it's a delight to have them back. Number three in total, but number... Wait a minute, where are we up to? <laughs> Counting okay. back. Number four up. in total. <laughs> Jesus, thank God I was good at English. Number four in total, but number three on your list. Yeah, okay, yes, we can go with that. Are we just like um, Queen to the Stone Age? Oh, I know, that's thrown us, isn't it? We weren't expecting Josh Hummy to be a complete cunt just before we arrived at the pub. <laughs> Damn you, Josh! Well, assuming St Vincent hasn't done anything while we've been in this room, she's the next one. Mass Education is her fifth album. Fit, uh, fuck off. It's her sixth, if you count her uh, collaborative album with David Byrne. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, But it's I'd say it's her first major breakthrough album, even though many would, uh, I don't know, turn their nose up at that. But it's her first top ten album in the US. So, you know, in that sense. And it's very futuristic pop. It's I mean, her producer is um, Jack and... Enough, she said, reading it from a bit of paper. That was beautiful. Yeah. That was beautiful pronunciation. Can I say that again, Jack Antonoff, who uh, produced Taylor Swift and Lord, and she's obviously brought in somebody and gone, I want futuristic power pop, I want big anthems. I find her incredibly confusing. <laughs> I'm going to put my hands up to that. I've seen her live, I love her albums, I read her interviews, it never ever makes me any the wiser, but I find her very lovable for that. I don't really know what she's up to. She just seems to be having a lovely time. Hashtag a lovely think? time. I'm not sure that's even true. There are oh. no definites. The uh, press for this, uh, she had some pre-prepared promotional clips uh, in advance for journalists because she was so fed up with the uh, sort of press rounds where she gets asked things like what's it like being a woman in the music industry and what's it like playing in high heels and stuff like that so she had pre-prepared answers all the deep questions <laughs> uh, well she sat there uh, 
saying things like light banter, great question, uh, and has stick on nails that gradually spell fuck off. <laughs> so, you know, she looks like she's having fun with it, but on the other hand, I don't know if she has fun. I just, I'm not sure. It's sort of about the trials and tribulations of touring, I believe. I wouldn't like to say anything for definite. But um, it's, you know, a lot of the tracks are named after cities. There's one about New York. There's one called Los Angeles. And it's sort of about uh, just fleeing cities and people and the loneliness of being on tour, but also the delight in being on your own. She said recently that if everything is absurd, then you don't feel exposed and I think that's key to what she does. She tries to make everything a little bit playful and whatever the answers are aren't for us. You know, they, they might even change for her. So my album of the year is going to go to Beck and Colours. And this, I think, is the happiest album I've heard in forever. And I was so delighted because, my God, do we need that? I mean, it's been a hell of a long time coming. It's his 13th album. Um, he started the sessions for it in 2013 the first single from it came out in 2015 that was Dreams I think Uh, it was finished in 2016 just ready for Christmas and then Trump got elected so it got put on ice because it just didn't feel appropriate no no one wanted happy tunes no no no, exactly there could be no fun if Donald Trump is in so it's been on ice basically since then but it is a bouncy castle of a record it's so happy i mean it's called colors god's sake but every single song doesn't just have like the most amazing hook it will have three hooks like the, the verse will be like oh i love this bit and then the chorus will come in and you're like oh but i love this bit and then, then by the end of the song you're standing on the table it's it's a fantastic album it's so happy and infectious he wrote it when pharrell's happy was actually the biggest song in the world and he was like that is what i need to capture I want to capture that kind of mood. Um, what's his previous album? Sorry. Morning Phase is quite a sedate sort of callback to sea change years. It's quite, quite. I wouldn't say morose, but it's certainly a, a depressive sounding record, much more acoustic. This is electric dance music, 80s pop. It's got reggae bits in there. I had it on in the office quite a lot, and um, I had one colleague say to me, is this our heart? <laughs> so then there was another track where I'd forgotten what I'd put on, and I was like, this is The Police. Since when did I like The Police? <laughs> it's got stuff all over the place, and but you, you cannot help but love it. It's just, it's glorious. He wanted to bring the happiness that his live act has and how much fun that he has on stage with his touring band. And he's succeeded without question. Those are my albums of the year because all of these people, even though they're established acts, I feel a bit guilty not promoting a debut from anybody, but I'm afraid it's personal taste and these were my favourites. That's absolutely fine. I would give a few nods to a couple of people who didn't quite make my favourites, but still fantastic. Nadine Shah. Oh, she's um, great. She's fantastic, isn't she? Holiday Destination. It's a great album, hugely recommended. If you like people like uh, Anna Calvi, very similar kind of voice. This album's about the refugee crisis. Uh, She's a British Muslim, got Norwegian, uh, Pakistani heritage. She's got very strong northern Geordie accent. accent. Yeah. It's about the concept of home, really. It's a fantastic album. Loved it. Sorry you didn't quite make the grade, but it's great. Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile. It's a brilliant album. There's covers of each other's songs on there. There's records about each other. It's, uh, It's a wonderful buddy record. 
And Father John Miss DPO Comedy didn't quite make the grade, but he is my favourite prick and I love him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and Mogwai. I love the Mogwai album so much. Every every country's song, it's fantastic. If you love The Cure, New Order, you love soundtrack kind of music, it's uh, it's wonderful. Thanks, Liz. That is a corking list. And thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us. Thank you for having me. Question and not answering that. Hello, everyone. This is Sarah Milliken, and you are listening to Sarah Milliken's Question Time. Um, I have some machinery on in the background. I'm not currently in a factory, guys, um, but I do have the washing machine on. And also there's a little dog behind me and he might every now and again just do a little rough for no reason at all. Um, which sort of leads me quite nice, nicely to my, to my question for this week. This question's from Ian McHugh on the Twitters. Thanks, Ian. And his question is, does meow mean woof in cat? It's a really good question. And I like that you think that I talk to the animals. Um, I used to try, I try to have it. I tried, I tried to have a joke once that was she talks to the animals but it's mostly just pleading and it never worked but it always makes me laugh because I am just going sit on my knee why won't you sit on my knee let me stroke you please let me don't bite me please let me stroke. it's just that that's just me talking to animals I don't know if meow means woofing cat we have two cats and a dog so I feel quite well placed to answer this question maybe if we work out what they actually mean then we could work out if they mean the same thing um woof when our little dog does a little rough, that can mean anything from, I think there's a cat in the garden, to, is that an aeroplane, to, I think there's a cat upstairs eating food, to, what's that noise, to, I hope that's not fireworks, to, is it raining, to, uh, it doesn't really say I want a wee, so much as sort of dances in front of me, which I sometimes put on, I just think he's doing a little performance. And then I realise, oh no, it's rather urgent. Let's get him outside before he wheeze in the living room. When the cats meow, they can mean, oh, generally they mean, I want attention, but not that much. But also, I'm hungry, but not for food, because we always have food out with one of those families. But maybe I want treats sometimes. Um, but also the way my husband talks to the cats uh, particularly a little girl cat when she mews he'll go yes you are lovely so I think she must be saying I'm lovely <laughs> which makes her I don't know if I like her personality as much because that, that's to me that's quite cocky um, so in answer to your question Ian I don't think they do mean the same thing I think they mean entirely different things based on the personality of the individual pet and I think that's our job to find that out before they die oh that went that took a turn <laughs> thanks for your question ian uh, have a good week guys bye if you'd like me to answer one of your questions then tweet us at standard issue uk using the hashtag smqt thank you standard issue for all women hello there we are joined by sarah morgan who is a comedy writer and just all around excellent bird hey sarah hello how you doing i'm all right thanks. merry thanks christmas oh we can say that now <laughs> what's what the beginning and cut-off point of christmas well if you, i reckon if you've opened if you've got an advent calendar on the go you're probably yeah. all right i heard paul mccartney twice on thursday so you know. <laughs> 
Was he just banging on your door going, Jen, let's <laughs> talk? <laughs> he was saying, mefreemondays.com, you can do it right now, please. <laughs> what are you here to talk to us about, Sarah Morgan? Well, this is an idea I had last year that Standard Issue kindly let me write about. And it occurred to me, it was, it was the fag end of what felt like the worst year in human history. Oh, Who gosh. knew? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Wow. It wasn't the fag end at all. It was the warm-up. It was the warm-up. <laughs> it was the preamble to uh, to more horror. But it was an idea I had. But basically, I, I love Christmas. I completely love Christmas and I love buying presents for people and I love buying presents for nice people and I should preempt this by saying I love buying charity presents for nice people and charity presents are amazing we all love to get an Oxfam goat we all love to feel that we've helped other people um, I think I've got heard my mum has bought me like a goat every year for the past however many years amazing I'm like some sort of goat queen <laughs> queen of goats queen of goats Where's my, crap? People monsters my, my aunt bought my mum 16 chickens once and my dad said where the fuck are we going to put <laughs> and my aunt had to explain that they're not actual chickens. 16 feels excessive, yeah. to be yeah. honest. But useful for someone. I've got, I've got an aunt who I adore, who uh, is always hard to buy for because she's allergic to everything, all that kind of stuff. And I always adopt her something. And we adopted her a donkey. And that donkey's she's re-adopted. She's taken it up every year now. So she's all, she's, she, you know, there's this donkey that we all follow in our family now. And that's brilliant. This is Passag Christmas. This is what you do when you are forced to buy a present for someone. We all have to buy a present for people we don't necessarily like or agree with or, or, or know how to buy for. A, a work secret Santa with someone you don't know or a relative who you know you're going to see across the table whose politics you maybe don't agree with. My theory is rather than going to like Poundland and getting them a you know, tea towel holder or, or a mug or, you know, uh, a box of biscuits that they probably wouldn't like and they probably have a problem with, buy them a charity gift and then they literally cannot complain. They are not allowed to... No one is allowed to complain when they get given a charity gift. So you're doing an amazing thing by giving some money to this charity. And you're also taking the joy of them being a... Can I swear on this? Absolutely. Yeah. Being a moaning wanker. <laughs> taking that away from them. So it's double bubble. It's both... It's feeling evil by doing good, which I think is the perfect... You know, it's a good Christmassy feeling. Laughter. It, it, it is just... It's just a joy, you know. There are so many amazing charities. As we all know, Christmas just feels like such a... Charity is such a huge part of Christmas. But there are so many amazing charities that you can get really, really specific. And this is my favourite thing to do, is pairing the person to the thing I think they'll hate the most. <laughs> it's really passive aggressive. It's so joyous. For example, if you uh, have an uncle who's like a climate change denier, buying them a well for someone in the third world who's been affected by climate change, mm. they're, they're, they're from Oxfam and it's like 15 quid and they, they, they're, they're, they're just going to have to smile because they're not going to get into the conversation with you. I've got a relative who always buys me like an Alan Carr DVD, but also is slightly homophobic and says things like, I mean, I think it's, I mean, they had civil ceremonies. Why do they need to get married? And so I bought her a, a, a Christmas dinner uh, for the Albert Kennedy Trust, who are the people who uh, look after LGBTQ uh, runaways. 24% of all homeless people uh, identify as gay or bisexual, uh, as LGBTQ, because they're the people who have to run away from home. And oh, it's, it, it, it's a really shocking statistic. Um, yes. But you can buy a Christmas dinner from the Albert Kennedy Trust for one, one of these kids. And they give you a nice little leaflet and you can give it to a relative who just goes, oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's so sweet. I love it.
Is there a sort of a unified single area where people can seek out where to buy? Good question. So the thing I've been, uh, I was very, I put up a post on Facebook just asking people what are the great presents because obviously giving someone a voucher is all well and good or giving someone a card from Oxfam with a goat on is great. But I also like to buy physical presents for someone that also the percentage of the profits goes to a really good cause. Last year, there was a great project that did uh, Christmas cards that had a robin, very tasteful card. Um, they were brilliant cards. There was like a robin and like a very tasteful Christmas scene. And then you realise the robin was sitting on a tampon. And that uh, <laughs> that project get, helped uh, get sanitary products for women who are homeless. They're not doing it this year, but there are other things like that, other great causes. For example, Ashling B, comedian that I'm oh, sure we all amazing, know, yeah. he's amazing. Her sister, who is a lovely person in her own right, has a, a an Instagram site called at the Costume Directory, and she has she seems to just curate amazing things that you can buy for charities or like ethical gifts. And I, I a few of them I'd love to recommend. But for example, today she just posted um, the Big Issue are doing prints of their covers, and obviously the Big Issue get really great celebrity covers and showbiz yeah. covers because they're a great cause. So they had one today that was um, it's the George Michael cover they shot a few years ago, and it's fifteen quid, and it's this really beautiful print. Of George Michael, you buy it and you give some money to charity. Oh, so that's, oh, that's he did die last week. Last, last Christmas, Christmas he gave us his heart. It was awful. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did he donate? Was he one of those donors? Was he? <laughs> <laughs> did he actually give his heart? Is that I'm sure how much good it would have been. <laughs> a little bit, little bit better. Oh, we had we had a, um, a, a weird moment at Christmas last year in that my brother and my nephew were sitting at the table, and for some reason we were on the conversation of how I was under the impression for a long time that the words to Club Tropicana were, <laughs> oh, they're pissing in the sea, um, <laughs> which just seemed like a like a perfectly normal thing. And we're all laughing at it, and my brother's phone vibrates, and we went, oh, who's dead? Because that was 2016. And he looked and he said, oh, George Michael. And we went, ah, and he was like, no, really, George Michael. And it was so weird because we were literally one minute pissing in the sea, Next minute. We were all pissing in the sea after that. Yeah. Because it's what he would have wanted. It yeah. is what he would have wanted. That. That's why the drinks were free, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. oh, I can taste Keep a little bit of yeah. What is yeah. that line? All I that's missing know. is the sea. Oh, okay. But don't worry, you can suntan. Yeah, that makes much yeah. more sense. I feel like Club Tropicana is, is, is the Tropicana in Western Supermare. Which was a, a sort of uh, like a leisure centre with slides and, and a wave machine and stuff for, oh, for like Somerset teenagers. Center. Yeah, but uh, it was it was terrifying when I was a child, a Somerset child, and it had this giant fiberglass pineapple in the middle of it, uh, and <laughs> that you could slide down, and Oof. it and it's it got closed, it got closed down because it was so terrifying. And then it Banksy bought it and reopened it as his Banksy oh, Disneyland yeah. oh, thing. And every time I looked at a picture of it, I was like, it was scarier before. It was just like rotting, rotting children's slides. Oh. <laughs> They're like really horrible. Like there was always rumours there was razor blades in the flumes oh, and yeah. stuff. That, I think that's just yeah. every swimming pool oh, in yeah. the UK. Oh, I'm going back to my list of things oh, yeah. that mm. you can buy. There is a website called Team Omez. Who make t-shirts? Nasty woman t-shirts. They are were well, people yeah. responsible for the nasty woman t-shirt. They do a lot of other promotional t-shirts that are that tied up with good that they all give to good causes. You can also on Redbubble buy Repeal the Eighth t-shirts and the money because I've been wearing mine. I haven't got it on today, but oh. I've been almost constantly wearing mine since somebody suggested it was a good way to oh, promote actually, it. And it, the money goes to. I just realised there's a George Michael Campaign. connection to one of the gifts I was going to suggest because uh, Catherine Hamnett, who designed the Choose Life mm. Wham t-shirts, she's done a really genuinely lush 
range of sweatshirts and t-shirts that say choose love on oh, them I have seen that yeah. they, the money goes uh, it's choose love t-shirt.co.uk and the money goes to uh, refugee causes and if you want to see one of these in action if you go to our Sarah's website sarahmillican.co.uk mm. she is wearing one in the very lovely picture of her at the top being funny oh there's also another place that helps refugees that I, re- I just saw this today and it really made me laugh the money goes to help the refugee community kitchen in Calais which is obviously still an ongoing cause despite well, the fact no that, one's yeah, talking about that no one's talking about it but there are still people having a terrible time in Calais but the, yeah their shop sells they're called what's the name of the shop THTCX if you google that you'll find them they are doing uh, I pad- think I've taken some of that yeah <laughs> oh yeah oh, <laughs> the 90s, oh, yeah. they are uh, their refugee community kitchen is the charity so I'm sure if you google them you'll find the chat but they are doing these brilliant I just really liked it they're doing these brilliant t-shirts that have got a uh, I'd say a copyright free version of Paddington Bear on them obviously Paddington Bear huge with the uh, M&S and Daily Mail crowd who doesn't love Paddington Bear who doesn't love Paddington Bear <laughs> that lovable Peruvian refugee yeah that yeah. lovable refugee yeah. that asylum seeker mm. yeah exactly him. but he's but they're doing these brilliant t-shirts with a sort of legally uh, non-committal Paddington Bear on it and it just says coming over here stealing our marmalade <laughs> which is brilliant what a great present to buy for that lovely can I say Brexity uncle yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's just going he I just go, oh, you like Paddington? I bought you this T-shirt. <laughs> my mum asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and, and I said, oh, you could fill in that paperwork for my Irish passport. No, <laughs> that would be the best gift I could have. So, Sarah, tell us what the worst present you ever got bought was. Do you know what? There was a year when I worked on women's magazines. I don't know why it sticks in my memory, but just I think it's just that thing where you, we, want, we all seek understanding as who we are as a person. And, and Secret Santa's a really good time for sort of reading what people actually think of you, particularly when they come up to you afterwards. And uh, my Secret Santa person in the office, I'd, I'd worked really hard on my Secret Santa because it was the person who I sat next to and she had mice in our house and was always talking about it. So I bought her mousetrap, even though it went over the £10 limit. So I was like, that's a really funny personal. I've listened. I've got her a funny game. And uh, my Secret Santa person got me a, a, a tea towel holder shaped like a cat's ass. Stuffed the tea towel and she said, I think you'll like this, Sarah, because you're weird. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, yes, but not, not like, not you know, not like gadget shop weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, like not on the high street kind of weird. I'd like to think... I saw a cat's ass and I thought of you. It's a really. <laughs> you know what? You I those? quite like one of those, and I am weird. Yeah. So yeah. As, have yeah. you seen the latest thing that you can buy for your cat's ass? You can buy them. I think they're called like the Tush Twinkles, and they're a little. Look at your face, under <laughs> the movie. They're a little like you hook a sort of like chain over your cat's tail, and the the jewel thing just sits over their arsehole so you don't have to look at their arse anymore. Sure. Yeah, you, well, you can't look at their arse anymore because they've scratched your fucking eyes <laughs> yeah. out. And rightly so, I <laughs> yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, if you did that to my cat, he would just, yeah. I, he'd probably go along with it, but just wouldn't... He, his face would be enough to upset your face. One step away from buying your cat some kind of gimp outfit. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. and I'm a person who gets bought shit presents all the time. Light up tree, Jesus, Jesus in a tree. That was, I, but for some reason, it's everybody just thinks uh, that's really shit. Who should I buy it for? Hannah, she will find it hilarious, and they don't realise that I have a box under my bed full of hilarious things that people have bought me over the years. This started when I was young. <laughs> when I was seven, my uncle Alan, fuck you, Alan, <laughs> he bought me the greatest hits of status quo for Christmas because he thought it would be funny because I would hate it and I hated it so much I cried and they waited till that (laughs) evening to tell me that they'd actually bought me a real present. Me and my brother have a competition every year 
we also buy each other like a normal present, uh-huh. but we buy each other a shit present every year as well. And he has bought me some absolute corkers. It's always like a bit of a competition who can get the worst ones. So like one year I bought him Dion Dublin's Christmas album and he bought me a T-shirt with Bono's face on it. <laughs> <laughs> last, year, last year he bought me a book by Noel Edmonds, a you self-help Noel book He's by Noel Edmonds. He's always up to something. <laughs> something. <laughs> Writing self-help books about positive thinking. Oh, That's what that, my brother bought me last year. Is that when, yeah, you think you can do yeah. all sorts yeah. of it. Um, I I've got um, probably about foot, just under a foot high statue of a spaniel dressed in sort of Charles II regalia and sprayed silver. <laughs> that was probably one of my finest Christmas That part. sounds amazing. An ex-boyfriend. <laughs> was it a what, joke? Was it for a joke? We'd seen it in TK Maxx. You know the fucking weird bit yeah, of TK Maxx yeah. where you're like, who has this? And, yeah, the yeah. Dark what bit. shop did this come from originally? It didn't. Did no. It? No, this is no. stuff that's been made for TK Maxx. Yeah. You know, you know when we... there isn't a, a, an RRP price on it and you know it's some shit that TK Maxx have <laughs> This is just bought, stuff yeah. that's just manifested yeah. Yeah. out of the ether. Yeah. And we found Achilles, because that's his name, and we carried him around the shop and kept putting him in places and then taking his photograph and it amused us for a whole hour of TK Maxx shopping. And then I went back to buy it for him for a surprise funny present and it was gone and that was because this is like the most romantic story I've ever heard oh, but he was a fuckwit mate I'm well shot okay um, but yeah apart from that yeah I, I've got a handbag in the shape of a chicken <laughs> right that, that, that's actually got the Portuguese flag sewn into it that my dad bought me back off holiday my brother got booze my sister got perfume I got a piece of shit that he saw in a shop and thought was hilarious I have a t-shirt that says stud muffin on it <laughs> Amazing. Why do people buy me these things? What, when are we going to see you wearing them all together? Yeah, never. Sarah, where can we hear, watch, see more of your stuff, please? I think when this goes, there's one more episode to go. I've just written a sitcom for Radio 4 with Marcus Brigstock, which, funnily enough, is all about ethical living. It's called The Wilson Save the World, uh, starring Marcus Brigstock, Kerry Godleyman, who, oh, of this parish, yeah, who um, we decided we wanted desperately to be in the show, actually listening to her on on the standard issue podcast she made us laugh so much we were like we've got to get her she'll be amazing and she can mime opening a door way better than Jenny (laughs) Claire. I mean not not useful for a a Radio 4 sitcom so that's yeah that's on uh, Fridays at 11.30 but it's on the iPlayer you'll find it so can people catch up on it they can catch up on it on previous episodes and stuff yeah it's all about trying to live ethically and how difficult that can be you can find me on Twitter at Sarah L Morgan where I resolutely never promote anything I ever do but I might say fuck or something you're very funny Twitter. Well worth oh, following on Twitter. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Thanks very much for coming. Oh, in. that was a pleasure. Thank Happy you, Christmas, everyone. You play ball like a girl. Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny off the blocks. That part of the week where we throw milk and water at the haters and crack on with just winning the league anyway, as we talk all things women's sport. That was a reference to poor old martyred Manchester United boss Jose Mourinho, by the way, who reportedly felt the wrath of rival team Manchester City's players in a tunnel bust-up on Sunday after the Manchester derby. Much to my delight, more food fights in men's football, please. 
So, the big news in sport over the last week is that the International Olympic Committee has only gone and banned Russia from the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics on account of all those state-sponsored systematic doping accusations being thrown around. And, you know, the failed drugs tests, return medals, broken hearts, tattered dreams, all of that sort of shit. I mean, you've got to feel for the likes of Kelly Southerton, who will now retrospectively claim bronze for the 2008 Beijing Olympics heptathlon after the disqualification of, and I'm going to struggle to say this, Tatiana Shinova, Shinova, Tatiana Shinova, and countless others in similar positions. Because, you know, like an Olympic medal means so much and the sacrifices of the athletes in the pursuit of those just sort of blows my mind, really. So you kind of feel like to be deprived of that moment and receive your prize almost as an afterthought many years later. It just feels really, really cruel. I mean, apart from that, I've never really understood cheating of any kind, to be honest, apart from there being clearly no glory whatsoever in winning, in inverted commas, or, you know, fucking over other humans. It's a logistical nightmare, isn't it? Who can be arsed with that? So I do think the reporting around it all is a bit, I don't know, it's a little bit problematic. It seems like there's this sort of constant rhetoric of Russians are bad when, you know, the reality is they're governed by a uh, megalomaniac lunatic. And I think the key words we should be focusing on probably are state-sponsored. But nonetheless, I think that it's the right decision and that those who prove they're clean should still be able to compete, which is what the IOC have have said. It's a bit of a shame that the IOC didn't locate their balls in 2016 before the Rio Games, but there we have it. The next big story is, of course, that 36-year-old Serena Williams, who gave birth to daughter Alexis Olympia in September, has entered the Australian Open. Woo! Williams holds the record for the most number of Grand Slam victories of the Open era and is just one victory away from equaling Margaret Court's pre-Open era record of 24 and she's apparently very keen to break that record. So were she to equal it, honour, this is going to get confusing now because I'm just going to keep saying the same word because Court, it's apt really, isn't it? If you're a tennis player and your surname's Court, anyway, shut up get on were Williams to equal that record on a court named after the Australian legend well that would be pretty ace wouldn't it no pun intended there either not least because Margaret Court has said some pretty shonky things recently about gay marriage so you know that's completely irrelevant but still be nice to see someone break a record but will Williams be ready it's easy to dismiss athletes I think who are returning to their sport after pregnancy but if you look at the likes of Joe Pavey and Jess Ennis certainly didn't do them any harm but it's part of a wider trend isn't it of dismissing women and especially dismissing mums about their ability to do their jobs and let's not forget Serena actually won this year's Australian Open while pregnant She was actually pregnant when she won a Grand Slam, which is completely... I mean, I don't even... I don't even know. It's crazy. I would love to see Serena win, and if anyone's got the sort of strength of character to make that kind of comeback and suck it to the haters, surely it's going to be her. Oh, it's very exciting, um, and I'm looking forward to watching that in January. We've got a couple of shout-outs quickly. GB's Zoe Newson won bronze in her weight category at the World Powerlifting Championships last week. 
Hannah Cockcroft became the first ever para-athlete to win the Sports Journalists Association's British Sportswoman of the Year Award. And England football's Jodie Taylor won the BT Sport Action Woman, if you can forgive that slightly icky name, of the Year Award for 2017. So big congrats to them. Also, a massive shout out to Judy Murray, who I interviewed for this very podcast earlier this year, who won the Lifetime Achievement Award at the same ceremony. Now... If you haven't listened to it already, I strongly recommend that you do listen to that interview because Judy is doing absolutely amazing things for women's sport and she really doesn't need to, to be honest. And I mean, she doesn't need to in that, you know, it wouldn't be her responsibility to do it, but she's just doing it anyway. So more women helping other women, please. That's it for me. I'm back next week with more sports things. In the meantime, you'll find me on Twitter under the moniker of at InspireGen, mostly laughing at Jose Mourinho. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you do this week? This week I watched what I think is probably considered a stone-cold Disney classic, The Jungle Book. It is a stone-cold Disney classic. Made in 1967, based on the Rudyard Kipling book. It was the last Disney film to have the actual involvement of Walt Disney, who died during its production. And he was apparently really hands-on, because The Jungle Book is the film that comes immediately after The Sword in the Stone. And if there's one thing old Walt and I can agree on, it's that that film was an absolute floating turd. (laughs) Now, obviously, I saw this film as a child and as a teenager, and I can remember a certain level of exuberance around it. And not just from me. My sister loved it. My dad loved it. In fact, fun fact, one of the first dates my parents ever went on was to see The Jungle Book at the cinema. So, yeah, I really wanted to like this again. Have you two seen it? I think I saw it a lot as a child, but I haven't seen it for a long time. I I absolutely, definitely saw it repeatedly as a child. And it was one of, I think it was the first one that my granddad got as a pirate video. So it's one of those that when we first watched it, um, you could see people standing up and wandering around in the cinema and going past the screen. So there were a lot of silhouettes of man in the jungle, even though there were not as many men in the jungle. And then last year, my mum got me the live action version for Christmas which I watched. One of my favourite things that exists on the internet is a picture of, obviously... Idris Elba. Big trees with... with <laughs> sort of like... Is he in a I denim waistcoat? I wish I could describe this to do it justice, but basically it's a picture of, obviously he's not with a tiger, but he is with uh, the... Um, He's not really with it, it's not real, with his Sheer Khan CGI tiger. And he's kind of like casually. What, what Jen is doing now is um, basically every other Tinder profile that pops up on yeah. someone's phone. <laughs> I'm a bit worried it's going to go into that one of Burt Reynolds lying on the sheepskin rug. I used to have that as a screensaver. <laughs> I fucking loved it. It was a bearskin rug. It's a bit yeah. like if you've ever seen that picture of a young Ian McShane. Yeah. With, like with the dog. dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like that, but he is fully clothed casually lying next to it and he's got his hand lovingly resting on sheer cards porn 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 <laughs> i think we've just had a little view into Freudian the mind uh, lovingly resting on sheer Khan's paw proof beautiful if proof were needed that there is no cartoon no disney film that jen cannot make sexy Men i and animals, didn't make animals. that sexy what did interest we're not here to talk about that though no. hannah no. did you like the jungle book the disney version 
In parts, okay. I did, but certainly less than I liked it as a child, or not even as a child, in the past. Mm-hmm. Shall I do a little plot summary for anyone who hasn't seen it? Or read it, yeah. Well, reading it's not going to make any difference because it's not like The what? Jungle Book. The cartoons aren't like the no, books? Not especially, no. okay. but so Mowgli, a baby, gets discovered in a little basket by Bagheera. A panther mm-hmm. who decides the best thing to do is to take him to the jungle to be raised by wolves, <laughs> which, to be frank, is probably exactly what I would do if I found a baby in a basket. If right, I mate. was a panther and I found a baby, no, in if a I was me and I found a baby in a basket, here you I... go. This one's for you. Yeah, it's going to work out. It's not in it, really. Yeah, well, it worked out for Romulus and Remus. What could possibly go wrong? At <laughs> uh, the dad wolf, who has a name but I'm not going to bother to learn it for reasons that will become clear. He's not right keen on this arrangement, but the mother wolf, who doesn't have a name, flutters her eyelashes and he concedes and says they can raise it. Now, I only mention the fluttering of the eyelashes because she literally fucking does it. And secondly, if I didn't mention it, I'd be cutting out one of the few female characters in this film. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a decade passes like that because it's Disney. And the dad wolf gets called to the council, which seems to be run by some very posh wolves. And they tell him that Shere Khan, a tiger, is heading this way, so Mowgli has to go. And Bagheera offers to take him back to his kind. They meet a snake, they meet some elephants, then Bagheera leaves him alone and he meets Baloo, a bear, who tries to teach him to box. And then Bagheera comes back. And we're like 25 minutes in at this point and I'm wondering why this film is quite so beloved because like seriously up until this point it's not especially charming or funny or attention grabbing but it's not bad I'm not saying it's bad it's just not the film that I remember so minute 25 we get the bare necessities oh hello right which no two ways about it it's fantastic you know and it's perfect Disney and Excellent advice about fruit. Yeah. One of the things that I really hated about the music in Frozen was like how 80s pop video it all was. You know, it was just static. It was just a person standing there singing, which is dull. Bare Necessities is where it's at. They're singing, there's dancing, there's juggling, there's fun. I'm also very fond of it because my brother, who's 10 years younger than me, once we were in a car and we didn't have a radio in our car. I used to tell a joke about this. I used to say kids nowadays are really spoiled. We didn't even have a radio in our car when we were growing up. Although sometimes Dad did sing to us if he was pissed enough. Um, <laughs> it's funny because it's true. So, yeah. so we're in the car having a sing song, right? My brother in the back announces that he wants us to sing Bambi Sausages. And we all go, I don't know what that is. <laughs> he was about three. And we all went, we don't know what it is. You start it and we'll all join in. And he started, look for oh, the Bambi Sausages. sausages. Mm-hmm. And it, it, so it's particularly beloved in our family it is great i am i do a really wicked impression of baloo go on then i can't it's a visual thing okay i can shimmy my i'm quite a slender woman but i have got enough junk in my trunk that i can do the baloo shimmy like at the end of bare necessities i can walk and shimmy at the same time and people go nah you're too skinny and i'm like watch this and it is you know look at those bare necessities (laughs) lovely (laughs) Don't pick my pawpaw or you'll prick a pawpaw. Yeah. I mean, it's advice as well. It should be It's the test of time, isn't it? It has, yeah. Um, And this is the point at which the whole film sort of really kicks into gear because immediately after that, like virtually the next scene comes, 
I want to be like you. Which is better, I think. Which is also all singing, all dancing, joy to behold. It is, right? Yeah. Were it not for some pretty horrible and all too predictable racist overtones. King Louis, a character who is portrayed as, I mean, the way he speaks, the manners in which he speaks, the sort of jive talking is as, as you would say, as a black person, a black man, is a stupid monkey desperate to be seen as the same as a real man, which seems pretty racist to me. I mean, the statement this film is racist is becoming depressingly regular in Dunleavy Does Disney. Mm -hmm. It is a great song. It is loads of fun to watch. What happens in the other film? Who plays in Louis in that? Christopher Walken and the orangutans and the, the monkey kind of kingdom is portrayed as trying to take over the jungle. And I don't know, he's more sinister, but at the same time, without those racist undertones, he's seen more mm-hmm. as a sort of evil genius, but he's smart. Right. He wants to be like them. He's got everything apart from the fact that Mowgli's got like, his fire is basically the only thing that he hasn't got, and that's what he wants him to do. Because King Louis, I mean, there's no two ways about it. King Louis is stupid. He's dim, in, yeah. In this one. Yeah. He's not on the ball. He thinks blue with some coconuts on his face is another monkey. Yeah, I mean, we've all fallen for that trick. But King Louis in the live-action film is he's smart and he's dangerous, and that comes across really well. And I think having someone like Christopher Walken play it as well, yeah. who is, you know, super sinister and engaging and has played all these characters that are so smart and dangerous because of their intelligence gets around that as much as they can get around it while sticking to the original material in a way yeah the the live action disney does cast other people of color in it because i mean the other thing is most people in the jungle are uh, or most of the people in the jungle in this version of the jungle book are like stoically white i mean there's no two ways about it they all sound like they're from the Raj, or most of them sound like they're yeah. from the Raj. So how are we getting on with the sexism up until this point? Sorry, I hear you are. Are there any women in it? Okay. Apart from the fluttery Well, women. there has been another woman introduced today, Winifred, who is an elephant who appears to be, you know, from her voice, a white woman in her 80s, which, of course, makes her <laughs> the perfect grandma. age She's to be a Winifred. Disney parent. She's a new mum. That's what she is. She's in Disney. Yeah, She's she a new mum. She just gave birth to a teacup elephant. <laughs> um... Anyway, so Mowgli gets nicked by the monkeys, obviously, uh, and then he's rescued by Baloo and Bagheera, who has left and come back again. And the panther persuades the bear to take Mowgli to a man village, lest the tiger come and eat him. And then Bagheera leaves again. Mowgli runs away. Bagheera comes back. No, but really, this guy's this guy comes back more times than Peter Mandelson. <laughs> um Anyway, we're now 45 minutes in and we get our first sighting of Shere Khan. Now, I've got to say, this is relatively sophisticated storytelling for Disney in as much as I can't think of another Disney film where they've held off showing the baddie for as long as this. I mean, this is like the Iceman cometh length of time to be holding the baddie off. Frozen. I do recall him being like... A menace that hangs over them. They talk about yeah, him all the yeah. time, but they. But he he's never. Like Lucifer. He's like. Yeah. Well, he's he's threat. he's like uh, he's like Hickey in in the Iceman cometh. They spend the entire first half of the play talking about him. He doesn't show up to the second half. I really like Eugene O'Neill, and I really like the Iceman cometh. It's been slightly ruined now because the only time I've ever seen it on stage, it had Kevin Spacey in it. Aww. Yuck. 
Um, I have to say the wait is worth it because when we first see Shere Khan, his face is so fucked off. I actually laughed out loud. You looked it's like Joan when you hilarious. told her she was going on a diet. <laughs> He's just hilariously angry. <laughs> it's so brilliant. He's trying to hunt something and the tiger's hunt gets interrupted by the elephants who are actually much more enjoyable the second time around, I have to say. There is a small Jungle. baby elephant in it, though, that is quite terrifying because oh. it's played, fun fact, played by Clint Howard. But they've obviously thought that it looking like a small elephant wasn't enough. And so they've also tried to make it look like a small boy at the same time. And it's it's kind of terrifying. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, he's got like a kind of boyish face and he's got a mop of hair. Oh, yeah, I remember oh, he has him got now. Hair. Yeah, and yeah. it's weird. I don't he's know like why he can't he's just got blonde hair, hasn't he? Has he's he got, got brown hair. hair. Oh, okay. Tiny elephant in a toupee. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> anyway, Bagheera helps the elephants to look for Mowgli, and the colonel says no until Winifred. The colonel's another elephant, right? Yeah. yeah. Until Winifred you know. <laughs> threatens to mutiny if they don't. Bloody women, hey? Always kicking. So out. everyone's off looking for the man cub. The elephant's looking for him, Bagheera's looking for him, Baloo's looking for him, but Shere Khan now knows he exists and is out looking for him. And he can smell him. He can. In Shere Khan's defence, one, I I do really, really like tigers. They're such magnificent, beautiful creatures. And two, the reason he doesn't like Mowgli is because the reason his face is fucked up and he's scarred is because man got him with fire, right? Yeah, they're always fucking hunting him, He hasn't got a fucked up, scarred face. He does hate man for some very logical reasons, which is that man is a threat for him. I'm with you on that. Oh, but he I doesn't have. He a good... I think you're thinking of Scar, who has a scar oh face. God, we've done too many in the Lion King. Films. He doesn't. How are you two 3D? I don't even understand this He's... anymore. He hates him because of fire and the threat. Yeah, which so is in... yeah, yeah, which is. I think any tiger who is not scared of man is. And actually, Baloo and Bagheera have quite a sensible conversation about how Mowgli's going to grow up and fuck them all over. And and Bagheera says he will want to take him out before he gets to be a threat, which is, again, some quite advanced, like, conversation for a child's film. And yet... And indeed, between tiger, a bear and a panther. The tiger but, is seen as the enemy, as if it wasn't little tigers watching this on the big screen. Oh, no, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I like Shere Khan as a villain. I think he's I a really impressive villain. villain. I mean, he's kind of ridiculously posh. And you can see... <laughs> he's an Indian tiger from when we were at India. You, could see, you can see where... Jeremy Irons got the ideas of all yeah. the things that he did for Scar. And, and indeed, oh. anyone in Star Wars who was a villain. Yeah. So I have another question. Okay. About the live action version, Big Driz. Does he play him like, you know, Thespy, or does he play him like, hello, Alice? <laughs> hello, Alice. Not, he's not Luther Khan. How's it, no, but how does he. Sheer like, Luther. Is he like. I'm just knocking around here in Hackney. It's really weird, Jen, because in, in the live-action version of The Jungle Book, the tiger's wearing a denim waistcoat Is the whole he? time. <laughs> and he's just running with his hands in his pockets. Throwing <laughs> um, a laptop against the wall, yeah. shouting, no, 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 no! <laughs> um, no, he plays him sort of silky smooth and sinister. It's very good. Okay. There's no there's no Stringer Bell in there. There's no Luther. Uh, he's just... It's like he sound... he's, got, he's got other stuff he can Does do. He is he doing like... it in that way that everyone talks when they uh, play a Roman? Which is <laughs> kind of just sort I of... I am Maximus Decimus yeah. Aurelius. Yeah. My throat can only do two sentences before I need water. Yeah. Is he like that? No. But is he East London in it? He's silky smooth, mate. Anyway, should we get oh, back to this one? Sorry, yeah. So 
Mowgli, he's hanging out by a waterfall because it's a Disney film, obviously. Then we have another run-in with the snake. Yeah. And the song... He's a car. prick, isn't he? And the song it's Trust... Car, right? He is. Is, and it, then... is it a man snake? Yeah, yes. but it's not in the live action, is it? Scarlett yeah. Johansson. Yes, exactly. I was confused. And, and the song, uh, Trust in Me, which, although not a great tune, is great. actually a really nice sequence when, like, oh, Mowgli's so hanging cool. around and, yeah. like, and he's falling asleep. It's and a he's... bit psychedelic, isn't it? Yeah. Then we meet the Beatles, sorry, the Vultures, yeah. um, who treat us to some god-awful Scouse accents and a barbershop quartet song, which is so bad. I had actually managed to expunge it from my memory. I don't remember this at all. No, I didn't remember it. Does he warn it. anyone with peace and love? <laughs> it's appa- Apparently, they asked the Beatles to do it and everyone was up for it except John Lennon who said no and it had to be an all-or-nothing thing and well oh. done, John Lennon. One of them does look like Ringo. And one of them is doing his best to do a Scouse accent. One of them is just full-on Cockney. Um, another one switches from Scouse to Scottish. It's They're really, really bad. Um, Any chat about meat-free Mondays? No, okay. no. I am um, warning you with peace and love. Uh-huh. Um, then Shere Khan turns up, and then Baloo turns up, and they have a fight. And Mowgli tires fire to Shere Khan's tail, and the tiger runs off That's defeated. Horrible. Yeah. And which is probably a good as good a time to mention that this film does great cat noises. There <laughs> is a great seriously time to that. there is a bit where Bagheera, when they escape from King Louis, and the temple starts to crumble, and Bagheera's got Mowgli on his back, and he runs away, and a bit of rubble falls on Bagheera's towel, and Bagheera goes wow like that, <laughs> and it's a really great animal noise for something that the animals are talking. It's like they've actually remembered that cats are cats, and they would make those noises. Um, okay, right. It has to be done. Jen, best cat noise? Uh, well, look, this is unfair because we... <laughs> my mum has very specific tastes in felines. Uh, Burmese cats sound quite different to other cats. That's all right. That's um, your caveat. Carry on. Oh, what, I've been with her this weekend, that Millie. Uh, what does she sound like? She sort of goes like... It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, I'm going to do an impression of my beloved old boy, Ross Cat, who sadly left me in February and did not meow at all. It's like he, he kind of was um, a Mute. cat in a cow suit. <laughs> no, he just kind of go... He <laughs> <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> yeah, and Mark, his sister, who I sadly had to say goodbye to very recently, was proper cat. She'd just go... <laughs> Peggy found the other day, when I tied it out under the bed, what happened to... The bit of fluff that she likes to carry around with her. The one that she came with? Yeah, she came with a bit of fluff, right? It's about the size of a 50p piece. And she carries it around in her mouth. And then she lost it, which was brilliant, because the other thing that she does is she lies next to it and she goes... Is she the one that I think is Burmese? Uh, Possibly. Because they sound like babies. Yeah. It's really weird. And then I heard her making that noise and I thought, she fucking found that bit of fluff. It must have been under her bed. And she was just lying down. What if that noise is like, Peggy, that bit of fluff has the secrets to the universe. And she's communing with her. And Peggy's like the only one who can save us because something needs to fucking save us. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. (laughs) Right. So Bagheera, while this, this, this fight's happened, Bagheera comes back again, surprisingly, um, and everyone thinks Baloo is dead because he's had a fight, but he's not. he's not. And he and Mowgli vow to stay together forever. But then, fuck me, instantly, who turns yeah. up but a real-life yeah. girl listed in the credits as girl? 
and doing she, some sort of photo shoot for Spotify. And she is singing a song. It is the, the worst song. The lyrics of which are this. I have written them down. I know it. Father's hunting in the forest. Mother's cooking in the home. I must go to fetch the water till the day that I am grown. Then I will have a handsome husband and a daughter of my own. And she will go to fetch the water and I'll be cooking in the home. I mean, not every woman, obviously, can be burning a bra like Winifred was. Also, it's bullshit. It's, I, when it's, I was no. grown, that did not happen. No, I never <laughs> fetched water for no one. Um, it's it's, really... it's also a terrible song. It's, yeah. it's, re- it's like a real low point of the film oh. that I didn't remember. I don't. I remember seeing it as a teenager and being like, I don't remember something this shit being yeah. in it. I will go and fetch the water. It's awful. It is terrible. Awful. It's like when you're a kid and you make up songs. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they just kept one of them in. Yeah. yeah. So she flutters her eyelashes at Mowgli and he follows her almost in the same way that when he was hypnotized by the snake. Now make of that what you will. I know, it's quite like what my, um, my blue impression. And he <laughs> leaves his old life behind without so much as a cheers for your Moth elf buddies. Before mates. Right. <laughs> Nothing, <laughs> right? Mates before dates. And then really weirdly, Moth Baloo and Bagheera me. say, well, it was all for the best, really. <laughs> and they wander off singing. The end. I mean, I was half expecting Bagheera to come back, but he didn't. That was actually no, genuinely leave the leave end. Did you watch right to the end of the credits? Yeah. Is it not like, a, you know, at the end of a yeah. film where like Bagheera just goes... Yeah. Yeah. Like Columbo. Yeah. <laughs> just one more thing. <laughs> like Columbo and Peter Mandelson had had a baby. Like Mrs. Mrs. Bagheera. Yeah. <laughs> just talked about Mrs. Bagheera. Quite. Um, what score are we giving it? Now, I reckon it's going to be one of these times where everyone is going to tell me to jog on with this score oh, because everybody loves The Jungle Book, right? Everyone loves the memory except, of The Jungle Book. Except that's exactly it. The reason we're doing this is because to rely on nostalgia to judge these films that you might show to your children is a mistake. Can I just point out, relying on nostalgia to judge anything is, is genuinely bad. a mistake. Yeah. Like, just Boyfriends. don't go back. Yeah. <laughs> the truth is, and I hate to say it, The Jungle Book is... Not that great. Bits of it are completely terrific, but bits of it definitely aren't. It's racist. I mean, it Not categorically good. fails Bechtel test. It has three female characters. Two of them don't have names. One of them never speaks. And one of them only opens her mouth to sing a song that might as well be called Blessed Be the Fruit. So with all of that in mind, I'm going to give it my first half score. Oh, <gasps> Which is two and a half. Oh, I thought it was just going to be a half. Yeah. No, which is two and a half. Two and a half out of what? Two and a half Panthers dressed as Columbo out of five. <laughs> <laughs> just one more thing. That's all for this week, lads. Thanks so much for letting us hang out in your ears. It's been a pleasure for us. Uh, maybe think about getting your little finger, giving it a wiggle. Your left ear is possibly got some wax in it that you could do something about. But, you know, you do you. This weekend we have not one but two bonus podcasts for you. On Saturday we are releasing a gig cast and it is our November show from the Leicester Square Theatre which has got Jess Phillips, Catherine Ryan, Alex Jones, Sarah and me and it is a proper good one. It's going to be great. It is great. It's not going to be great. It is already great but you're going to find out it's great if you weren't there at the time. Then on Sunday there is an interview that Arden Levy did with our Sarah for Sarah's book tour. And they recorded it in Cambridge and that will be going up as our Sunday chops. So tune in for those. Keep an eye out on social media for us wanging on about them. But rightly so. They're excellent. Next week, we've got some corking features for you. 
we are chatting with Vix Layton about the sales and consumer rights. She is very entertaining. What a girl. We're also talking to Alice Hutton about local newspapers and how important they are and how sad it is that they are quite swiftly disappearing. And there will, of course, be all the usual gubbins. If you want to come and see our faces live, there are loads of excellent standard issue gigs that you can come along and sit in the audience for. You can find out all the details on Sarah's website, sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. The next one that isn't sold out is actually our January the 19th gig in Cambridge, and that's a corking lineup. We've got the brilliantly funny actress and activist Liz Carr, poet and playwright Holly McNish, and another guest as yet to be announced, so keep an eye out for that. Our January gig at the Leicester Square Theatre is pretty much sold out as well, but the February gig is an absolute corker featuring Issy Sutty, Rasheen Connerty, and Bridget Christie. What an absolutely brilliant lineup! Very, very funny women. Some of the best stand ups on the circuit at the moment. And we've also got a very exciting announcement coming up for our March gig, which has already got Fern Britain, so it's already going to be brilliant, and we've got someone else to announce very soon. Watch this space. And by watch, I mean listen to this space. Right, enough of my wittering. I shall leave you to your lives. May they be joyous. And until the next time, stay frosty. Standard issue for all women.